week eight of Overflow. We're in this series. We're going through Philippians, one thought unit at a time. Every week we're seeing, really, that you can have in Jesus Christ a sense of joy and peace and purpose that doesn't make sense to the natural human mind. It just doesn't. And every single week when I get in God's Word, I start preparing the sermon, I'm looking for the key central thought in each passage. I'm looking for those key phrases that unlock the meaning behind what this truth is going to be for us today. In verse 7 of Philippians 4 is a really, really, really good one. So we're going to read this whole passage, but let me tell you, it all begins and ends right here with verse 7. And the God of peace which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Today, this morning, Paul is confronting anxiety. Do you have those stresses and fears and outside pressures that just, like, wreak havoc in your mind? We, we all face it to a certain extent, some of us more than others, we live in a world that is filled with anxiety. And Paul is confronting that head on today. This message is not a defensive message. This message is actually taking action. We are waging war on anxiety in this passage today. Our culture, I don't, need to, I don't even need to tell you all the stats, but one in five people is on antidepressant medicine, some kind of medication to fight anxiety. There's over $55 billion a year that is spent on those, those, those med- medicines and those, those medications. Our whole culture and our world that we live is consumed with this. But you don't have to be. You really don't have to be. Before we really go into this, I want to say just up front one quick thing, and that is we live in a fallen world, and the, and the effects of the fall have a lot of different manifestations. And for some of us, there is extreme anxiety that's even greater than, than others face. And, and in cases like that, where there is ex- maybe a chemical imbalance, there's, there's just serious problems, I'm not saying that there's not ever a time where you can actually go get some medical help. But today, we're going to focus on what the Scripture says. And the Scripture clearly teaches us that anxiety is a sin. It's not just a condition to be managed. It is a sin that needs to repent of, and it's a sin that actually can be defeated and you can have victory over through Jesus Christ. So we're not going to go into a polemic on when and where to have medication. That's not the point today. The point is, verse 6, rejoice in the all, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. And that is black and white, and that's what we can take home and run with. So I made a list of what gives us anxiety. Uh, you, want, you want to hear my list for what gives you anxiety? It's the past, the present, and the future. Okay. Uh, besides that, we're great. <laughs> besides that, we're just totally good. No, but really, I mean, we, we can get consumed with what happened in the past, and that can actually um, affect us even right now. And maybe we were burned by a relationship in the past, and now we have walls up relationally because we don't want to get burned again. If you are f- facing anxiety in the present um, that might be just actually a good anxiety. That might be one of those like self-preservation things, big scary guy, dark dark alley, ladies, get your pepper spray out. You know what I mean? There's no problem with that kind of anxiety. Just get out of there. That's God-given self-preservation anxiety. Uh, but anxiety about the future, 
That's where we really can get into trouble, and that's really where a lot of this happens. We look ahead, we think about something that hasn't even happened yet, but it stresses us out, it freaks us out, the unknowns are scary. And that's where today we're going to get into God's word, we're going to see how we can actually wage war on that anxiety. And this passage today, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9, we are given four specific ways that you can wage that war and that you can overflow with peace. Overflow with peace. So is this clear enough? Anxiety has no part in the life of a Christian. If you're going to live on mission for him, that will stifle your joy, that will kill your peace. You can't do what you're called to do. You're not going to have overflow with anxiety. So we have to wage war against it. And if you're discouraged about this, if this is like, oh, wow, David, this is a deep topic, and I don't even know, what I can, I don't even know if I can hear this this morning, just, just look at me and listen. The God of peace is bigger than your biggest problem. He really is. He, he knows what that is. He's bigger, he's greater, and he can handle it. That problem should not steal your peace. The God of peace can be with you. So we're going to have the solution, and it's not just a temporary solution that makes us cope with stress, cope with anxiety. It actually can erase anxiety, and it's right here in this passage. The first thing that you do the first way that you overflow with peace and wage war on anxiety is you strive for unity. Relational unity is a big, big piece of this. Have you ever felt anxiety, felt stress based on a human relationship that isn't right? Maybe somebody's irritated at you. Maybe, you're, maybe somebody hurt you. Somebody, somebody did something wrong to you. Maybe somebody's mad at you and you don't even know why. That's a huge cause of anxiety and stress. And right here in the passage, we are going to get some amazing truth about how you can strive for unity. Look with me in the text, verse 2. We're going to read 2 and 3 here. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. So relational disharmony, it's going to throw you off. Every single time, it's going to throw you off. It's a big piece of this war on anxiety. Now, we aren't told a whole lot here about what this problem is between this fight between Yodia and Syntyche. But let's just deduct a few things first, right? Uh, based on what we do know. So yes or no, you're going to have to help me out with this. Yes or no, these women are leaders in the church. What do you think? What is, look at the text. What does it say? Can we deduct that they're leaders? Yes or no? Somebody, somebody shout it out. Yes. Yes is the answer I'm looking for. They have worked side by side with Paul. These aren't just two immature Christian ladies in the church who are having a cat fight, okay? These are mature ladies who have walked with Paul. They've walked with Clement. This, this true companion is probably Epaphroditus. These are spiritually mature ladies who are leaders in the church. Like, this is a total assumption on my part, so take it for what it's worth, but I can't help but think maybe Yodia and Syntyche were with Lydia 10 years before, at that first ladies' Bible study that was down by the river, 
when Paul found them in Philippi, some of the first converts in the church. It kind of feels that way. It kind of feels that way. I mean, you remember, you remember Lydia, right? The Vera Wang of the New Testament? Like, that's how this church started. And maybe Judea and Syneche were right there with, with them all along. But we do see that they are leaders in the church striving side by side for the gospel. And as a total side note, the culture that tells you biblical Christianity suppresses women and doesn't give women their rights, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's the exact opposite of what we see in the New Testament. We believe as Bible-believing Christians that we are all created in the image of God, that we are equal but different. And biblical Christianity in the New Testament elevates women and promotes women. Yes, there are specific roles that women shouldn't have, such as a pastor and an elder. That's okay. There's a hundred other things that ladies can do in leadership in the church. And these two women were leaders in the church. Okay, so we got that. This isn't just some immature Christians going at it, going off against each other. They're good, solid, mature Christian women. Yes or no, second question. We know what this fight is about. Yes or no? Do we know what this fight's about? No, we do not. We don't have any idea what this fight is about. And I think that's actually telling. Paul doesn't even really give them the benefit of saying, hey, I think you both have a point. Or let's just agree to disagree agreeably. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't take sides at all. He literally just goes right to agree in the Lord, ladies. Like, I'm not even going to dignify your dispute with a response. It doesn't matter what you're arguing about right now. You need to agree in the Lord. Now, would Paul say something about this disagreement? Do you think if there, were, there was serious error and there was doctrine at stake? That's my other yes or no question. Yes or no, would Paul speak out against error and doctrinal error? Yes. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. I mean, if you've been in this series with us, uh, you know, a couple weeks back, we saw Paul really just go at those, those Judaizers. He showed he was the smartest man in the room with those amazing double disses, those deep burns that were just made me respect Paul even more. Like, he takes a stand for this. I mean, in the book of Galatians, he says that I wish you would be accursed. Literally, go to hell. Okay? He does not mince words. He takes a stand for truth. And if you really doubt that, just go read Galatians 5.12. Just, just later on. But Paul will say something about doctrinal error. So that's not going on here. The, the contention that Judea and Syntyche had was a secondary issue. It was something that they actually could lay aside. Now, I'm not saying that just because you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for your sins, that God loved the world and sent Jesus into this world, that you need to perfectly agree with everybody and just be hug everybody, you know, hunky-dory at all times with everyone. Like, no, there's different tribes. There's different focuses you can have, like which church you're going to be a part of. I understand that. But Judea and Syntyche are already in the same church, okay? So we're not talking about, like, which direction am I going to go? We're talking about two ladies who are on mission together. They have history together. And they are letting a disagreement not only hinder their relationship, but cause division in the church. And that's where it goes way off. That's, that's a problem. Uh, I made a, a, an actual list. This is not a joke list, but this is an actual list of a few ways that we deal with relational anxiety. Um, the first one is, as long as there are people, there will be problems. 
just mark that down. You got people, you also, people are sinners. We got problems on our hands. We're going to have to expect that, to deal with that. Another one is early detection is the best preventative from going nuclear. It's like I watched Barney, uh, I watched Andy Griffith with my sons, my, my three-year-old and five-year-old, and like Barney Five, nip it in the bud. You know, that's really your best, your best course of action here when there are people problems. Problems rarely just go away and get better. That's another one you have to keep in mind. I mean, maybe that happens by God's grace once a blue moon, but usually the way we are, those problems don't just magically dissolve away. So you need to resolve them yourself. Another one is the longer an issue is buried away, the deeper it is and the harder it is to find resolution. It gets harder and harder to find resolution. And then the last point is in non-essentials, have charity. You've, have, you've probably heard in doctrine, unity. In, 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 non, in, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Remember, we have to be gracious. We have to be loving about things that we would disagree with. So Paul is imploring them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Don't let this ruin what you're doing. Remember, Jesus has called you to be a fisher of men. And you, and you don't need to worry about how the other person casts their, 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 their fishing pole. You, you don't need to, like, cause a ruckus and stir up the water and rock the boat. Just agree in the Lord. This is not about debating here. Paul would do that. But this is a secondary issue. And as our church pursues excellence, we do things like inspecting what we expect. We do things like striving for perfection and settling for excellence. We believe that feedback is the breakfast of champions. Whenever you're in one of those kinds of environments, you're going you're gonna to have to face some feedback in a good way. But when you're doing that, you have to do it out of love. You have to do it out of love. That goes for the church. That goes for the home. That goes for the office. That goes for the class. All those things are, are situations where you have to show love to one another and you have to agree in the Lord. Philippians 2, 5, and 8. You see there the humility, the mind of Christ. If you want to just turn back to that, Philippians 2, 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking upon himself the form of a servant. Humility is the key in these kind of situations. You may have a different opinion. You may have a better idea. That person may even be wrong. But we have to have unity. We have to strive for unity. We have to agree in the Lord. So, Yudia and Sinaki, I know those are just great names, aren't they? Anybody out here uh, looking for some, some little girl names in the future? Here you go. Here you go. But it's like, wow. Can you imagine being them? <laughs> when, when, like, probably Epaphroditus was reading this letter into the whole church, and you got Yudia's crowd, her little posse over here, and then Sinaki's girls, and they're taking sides, and and he comes to them, it's like, oh my word, he's going to talk about this, he's going to address this issue. And he just says, agree in the Lord. I'm over here in prison. I'm telling you, just remember who Jesus is, remember your mission for him. I'm, I'm sure they're just like looking straight ahead in that moment. Like, don't want to look at anyone else. <laughs> but this almost feels embarrassing that we're like eavesdropping into this, into this debate like 2,000 years later. Why do you think Paul is led of the Holy Spirit to say this, 
Well, I think it's because we can all be Udia and Syntyche. We can all want our way sometimes. We can all choose to dig in sometimes on an issue that isn't that vital, that we can actually show some grace in, that we can show some, some, some love and some charity in. And the point is, agree in the Lord, and notice he reminds them, your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We see, the, we see that in Revelation. The Lamb's book of life is the book in heaven that has every name of every believer that's ever been elect throughout the history of mankind. Whoever has ever repented of their sins and turned to Jesus Christ for salvation by faith believed that Jesus died for their sin, took their place. If you believe that today, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You have to remember that you're going to be living with the other Christians that are in your circles for all of eternity. Our names are all written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's not forget that and let's agree in the Lord together. And I came across an amazing verse in Proverbs that I had not seen in years that I want to actually use to illustrate this today. We don't use a lot of poetical illustrations. That's not usually my forte on illustrating things. But Proverbs 14.4, I have it up here on the screen for you. Proverbs 14.4, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Now you're probably thinking, wow, David, the Bible is so hard to understand. Why did you just drop this verse in my lap? Where is this coming from? Does this actually connect at all? Okay, well, let's just think about this for a second. It's, it's, let's interpret this poetically, right? Where there are no oxen, the barn is clean. The manger is clean. If, okay, if you don't have anything going on, there's no people, there's no problems, right? If you're going to get something done, you need some oxen to do that. And believe me, if oxen are in the barn, the barn's going to stink, Okay? Not only is there going to be manure in there, but that manure is going to be a part of everything that growing, fertilizing the soil, all that stuff. But it's what this passage is saying is, if you have people, oxen, <laughs> you have some stink associated with that. There's some stink there too. So just expect it. If you're moving forward, if we're going to do things, we're going to have some, probably some people issues that we have to iron out. We have to strive for unity in those things. And you can't just pick up your ball and go to the greener pasture because you know what? you got stink associated with you because you're a sinner. So wherever you go, there's going to be stink. You can't go anywhere that's doing anything without some stink in the barn. Now let's just deal with that and love each other through it anyway. Agree in the Lord. That's the first way you overflow with peace. That's the first way that you wage war on anxiety. The second way is to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Thank you. Thank you. In every circumstance, there, there are really two things that you can do, Two things, two ways you can look at it. Every circumstance, you can either complain about the negatives or you can rejoice about what God is doing through that. And I know there are some situations that just really, really, really rot. And it's really, really hard to see anything good coming out of that. But I have seen people who have health issues. I have seen people who have death in the family. I have seen people who have job loss. 
And they still find ways to rejoice because they know that God loves them. They know that God is there. The Lord is at hand. He's with them in that situation. And he's opening up a new door, a new avenue, and a new opportunity. We always have a choice to rejoice or to complain about the negatives. When your eyes are on the prize, those mountains of problems turn back into molehills. When you are striving forward and looking at the prize of the upper call of Jesus Christ, remembering that these issues that we're facing right now, if you know Jesus, they are temporary. If you remember that he will bring justice when it's all said and done, in this light, momentary affliction, man, sometimes it seems like a heavy, long affliction. But scripture calls it a light, momentary affliction. You can choose joy. Now, it's easy for relational problems to slowly spiral out of control. They don't happen overnight, but one silence, one bad stare, bad look, can slowly unravel those relational problems into major issues. That's easy to happen over time. What's not easy is to actually rewind all that and to work through that and actually get some clarity and some charity in those situations. Unity takes a long time to build. It doesn't take very long at all to unravel. We have to realize that. But you rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The other one is let your reasonableness, reasonableness be known. You don't have to dig in. Put yourself in the other person's shoes for a minute. Be reasonable about it. Think, how does this affect them? The other, the other third way we see is the Lord is at hand. Here you go again. Think about Jesus. Think about what he's going to do through this. Think about how he will solve it. Even if you can't fix it right now, he will one day fix it. The Lord is at hand. We need to keep our eyes on the prize of the upward call. Overflow with peace by waging war on anxiety, by seeing problems for what they are, a temporary obstacle that will destroy your joy. But don't let it steal your peace. God is bigger than those problems. God's grace for you is greater than your coldness towards him. He will never leave you or forsake you. Now, when we do face those things, those kidney surgeries, those hand, foot, and mouth outbreaks, <laughs> we've, we've, we've seen a lot of that in our church lately. When you're in that moment, sometimes it's almost too much for us just to set aside. Because not every issue is an issue like Udia and Syndicate where we can just lay it aside and agree in the Lord. Sometimes you actually face actual mountains and you have real issues that really demand a lot and you really have no answers and you really don't know where to turn. Verses 6 and 7 give us the third way. The third place. This is the antidote. This is the solution. This is where we turn. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the God of peace, and the peace of God, excuse me, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So yes, not everything is an easy solution. Not everything just requires laying it aside, working it out, talking through it. There are some problems where we have to just talk to God. 
We have to just run to him. There's genuine worry. There's genuine drama out there in this fallen, broken world. And this is the solution. This is how you can get something that's supernatural. Passes, surpasses all understanding. It doesn't even make sense. But if you trust God and pray with thankfulness, gratitude will change, literally change your, your, your emotions. If you pray with that gratefulness, you can get this peace that passes all understanding. This peace that will guard your heart and your mind. When you look at the Greek in that word guard, it's talking about a protection from a garrison of soldiers. So we're talking about literal like protective custody. This is the supernatural thing you get that doesn't even make sense when you pray with thanksgiving. Wage war on anxiety by praying with thanksgiving. Gratitude will alter the atmosphere of your heart. It really will. When, when Julie had her surgery a couple weeks ago, and they're telling her, hey, uh, we, we could nick your ribs. Uh, there could be internal bleeding. <laughs> we hope we can get it all. Let me tell you, that's, that's not very fun to hear. And in those situations, it's amazing that you can even get through that with any sense of peace. Not that we were 100% chill all the time, but Julie and I both prayed a lot. A lot of you prayed for us. And I'm sure all of you are facing things like that. I say that not just to brag about my wife because she is a rock star and she got through it by God's strength, but she got through it because God is strong and God gave her strength. And your God is strong. He can give you strength. There's no superhero Christians. It's not like, wow, I can never be like that Christian because they did this and wow, they, I don't know how they have this peace. This is a very simple recipe. It's right here for all of us. I'm not making this up. It sounds quaint, whatever. Like, it's in the text. Pray with thanksgiving, and the God of peace will be with you. And he will give you this thing that doesn't even make sense. He will put a protective garrison of soldiers around your heart and your mind. That's God's word. We have to believe that, and we have to own that. Meditate on the right stuff. The fourth way that we wage war against anxiety is the next two verses. Verse 8 and verse 9. Meditate on truth. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace, he will be with you. He will be with you. This is really where the war rages. We talk about ground zero. This is the battlefield. This is the bloodiest part of the battlefield right here in the war on anxiety. It's right here in your minds. It's what you choose to think about. You have to meditate on the right stuff. If you want to strive for unity, if you want to rejoice in the Lord, if you want to pray with thanksgiving, all those things start with, right here, meditating on the truth. Meditating on what is true, the right stuff. Don't give the devil a key to the back door of your mind. 
Believe me, he will put that Trojan horse in there and he will wreak havoc with your thoughts. It can all fall apart based off of what we think about. If you focus on how you've been wronged, the negatives, there's always going to be negatives. Remember, there's always going to be stink in the barn. Like, there are going to be bad things that happen to you. Until Jesus comes, that's going to be the way we deal with life. You can always focus on the negatives, and you can always get depressed by that. That's one option. Option A is Philippians 4, or option B is Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Meditate on the truth. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, think on these things. So don't let the fact that that person wronged you make you forget that God can turn that on its head. He can flip the script completely, and he can actually use that for good in your life. It's like, it's like coaching yourself, okay? You can listen to yourself, or you can speak truth to yourself. You have, you, you, you're going to be doing one of those two things. If you're just listening to yourself, how does that usually go? Oh, wow, I blew it again. Man, I'm such a failure. Oh, I can't believe they did that. And oh, there's, this is never going to work out. And oh, it can get so dark so fast if we keep listening to ourselves. But what you have to do with those thoughts is you have to compare those thoughts that you're thinking to scripture. Does this thought that I always fail, I always screw it up, is that true in scripture? No, it's not. It's not true. The truth of scripture is God loves you. He has a plan for you. He's gifted you. Yeah, you can make mistakes for sure. But the truth is, God will work through your problems, and God has gifted you, and he has a plan for you. So every thought you have, you have to analyze it. Does it match with the truth of Scripture? Oh, it's just going to be so negative, and oh, I don't know what to do. Like, no, 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 no. Think about what the truth of God's word says. He loves you. He wants you to be on mission for him. So let that guide your thoughts every single time. And when we're coaching ourselves and we're not just listening to ourselves, when we're preaching truth to our own soul, that does wonders. There's a couple different types of coaches out there. I, I coached high school basketball for a couple years, and I've had a lot of coaches in my life. Um, but you really have like two types of coaches. You have like the degraders, or you have the builder uppers, the edifiers. And I'm not saying that like, you're either a, like a yelling coach or a softy coach. Like, I'm not talking about that. You have to communicate to different people different ways. But at its core, there's really two types of coaching. It's either building up or tearing down. With your thoughts, how you communicate to yourself, what you say to yourself, you're either building yourself up in truth by reminding yourself of what God says about you that is true, or you're just focused on all the lies from the pit of hell that don't match Scripture. Anxiety is a sin to be repented of. It's not a condition to be managed. We need to wage war on anxiety. We need to fight against it by striving for unity, by rejoicing in the Lord, by praying with thanksgiving, by meditating on truth. Allow the God of peace to guard your heart and your mind. So as I was thinking about this passage this week, 
I, uh, as I often do, I was thinking about it in the shower. Does anybody have like those, those, sh those long showers where you just have those amazing thoughts in your showers? Tell me I'm not the only one, right? Uh, but I had this, this, this shower thought, and I was working through these, these points that are in the text, and I was thinking, wait, so yeah, uh, those are the four things I need to do. Strive for unity, rejoice in the Lord, pray with thanksgiving, meditate on truth. But those all really work together, don't they? Think about this. If you're not striving for unity, you're, you're never going to really strive for unity if you're not rejoicing in the Lord. Remember Udia and Syntyche? I mean, it was, you go back to we agree in the Lord. So if you're not rejoicing in who he is, you're going to have a harder time to strive for unity. And it's going to be really hard to also rejoice in the Lord if you're not praying with thanksgiving. And it's going to be virtually impossible to pray with thanksgiving if you're not meditating on truth. So do you see how they all work together? It's not like Yudia and Syneke just had this problem and Paul just said, all right, agree in the Lord, ladies. And then he shut the book and he was done with it. No, he gave them a blueprint here. He gave them a lot of true points. Agree in the Lord and remember who Jesus is, what he's done for you. He showed you grace when you didn't deserve it. He saved you from the death that you deserved. That happened for both of you. So agree in the Lord in that and treasure that. The Lord is at hand. Take heart in the fact that this is passing. Jesus is coming again, and he's with you in this right now. Think about the fact that he's given me blessings that I would have never had if it wasn't for his grace and his love. And meditate on truth. Who are you in Jesus Christ? You are an agent you are an ambassador of Christ. You are pushing back the darkness with the light of Jesus. That's the truth. So in all these things, as we wage war and anxiety, remember, it all starts with how you think. Think on truth. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, in this moment, I know for 100% fact that many of us in here, we are dealing with anxiety. And it's really easy to get beat down in this battle. It's so difficult. And that's why we're going to your word today. And we're asking you to guard our hearts and if there's someone that we're having a relational knockout, drag out with, or maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's just stifled from what it used to be. Maybe it's just not where it could be, and there's disharmony. There's a little unforgiveness. There's some things maybe not being said that are just getting brushed under the rug, Lord. If we have relationships like that, Lord, would you bring those, those, those names to our mind right now? Lord, convict us of where we need to change. Maybe what conversations we need to have later on today. Maybe it's just a text message to someone. Maybe it's a just a simple in our hearts realizing that we can have unity if we humble ourselves and not get so focused on the problems, but focus on the 
prize. Lord, right now, change our hearts. Change our thoughts. Help us to meditate on the truth of who you are. Don't let all the outward noise block out the truth of what you have promised and what you want to do through us. We thank you for this, God. We turn to you and we trust you and we give this over to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God says, come follow me.
live my life. 